Hey everyone, this is Alex from Wayward Noise and Bandbox. Uh, if you enjoy this podcast, I just wanted to let you know that uh, Bandbox has two other podcasts, uh, one of which I'm on uh, with my good friend Seth. That's called Fan Talks, where uh, every two weeks we pick a different artist that Bandbox has featured and uh, talk about their discography. And we also have from the other two stars of Wayward Noise, McCoy and Blair, we've got AM to Z, an album-by-album conversation about Wilco. Uh, so each episode they dive into a different uh, Wilco album chronologically. Uh, so if you, uh, if you enjoy this episode, check those out. Also, Bandbox uh, has plenty of exciting exclusive pressings of uh, some of your favorite albums, and uh, each album that you order through Bandbox comes with a 16-page full-color zine about the artist with exclusive interviews and rare photos and stuff like that. So um, if you're interested, check us out at bandboxrocks.com. All right, let's get on with the uh, pilot episode of Wayward Noise. All right, everybody, welcome to Wayward Noise, the very first episode of Wayward Noise, uh, a podcast where we are going to take some of our favorite artists and discuss their weirdest, most uncharacteristic album. Um, And I'm joined here by McCoy and Blair of uh, AM to Z, an album by album conversation about Wilco fame. Hey, guys. How's it going? Glad to be here. Uh, this is a very exciting podcast. I think we're going to dig into some really cool albums over the course of this. Um, and I thought, what better album to start with than an album so weird, so different, that it got the artist sued. Trans got Neil Young sued by his record label, along with some other um, uncharacteristic albums. Um, but uh, Trans is, uh, even though it was the subject of much ire, and uh, head-scratching almost 40 years ago. Uh, it's one of my absolute favorites, favorite out of you know almost 50 he's done. Because something I love about Neil Young is how he's never what you expect him to be, and he's always trying new shit, whether it works or not. I mean, uh, the albums actually before and after this are some of my least favorite Neil Young albums. But this one, it hit. Uh, trans in 1982. Um, so uh, we will go into the al- into the album uh, song by song. But uh, what are you guys' thoughts on trans uh, before we get into it? See, when I was listening to it again today, um, I thought, did Daft Punk get back together? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> I actually, I kind of zoned out after uh, a minute, and I thought it was one of those things where it, you know, like your playlist ends and it'll jump onto something else once you go through the album. Right. Because I, I just real I didn't realize that I stopped listening to Neil Young because I'm not super familiar with this album. Um, and it's it's just so uncharacteristic. Yeah, I mean, there's only two songs that aren't like mostly vocoder vocals. It's only it's yeah. the, first, the first cut of each side. Otherwise, it's just like it's about as. <laughs> I mean, Reactor was really weird. 
but not this type of weird. And that was right before. So it's like, it was almost like he was gearing everyone up that he was getting strange. But I think I've heard it described and you guys might have, because it's not like a new thought. I've seen it in a bunch of different uh, like pieces about Neil Young, but like how he's almost more like an actor than like a musician in a way like, Hmm. people expect musicians to be like this genuine version of themselves where they're always like striving towards like a more distilled version of this one thing that they're doing. Whereas actors just get to step into a role, really embody it for like that one project. And then they just move on. They're not like married to that thing. And that's kind of how, and I think that's a really cool analogy for Neil Young and a really way to like frame this record as a really like just prime example of the fact that like he could just, this is what he was going through at the time. He like made something that he thought was a cool concept and then just like moved on. I don't think he moved on because it was a commercial failure. He just moved on because that's what he would have done even if everyone loved this record because people loved records before this and he still just moved on from that sound. I think right. that's really exactly. cool. Like, um, and it's also, I think, noteworthy that everyone calls this a, uh, like his his synth his synthesizer record but it's only the vocals really that are synthesized and some drum beats but there's not actually like a lot of keyboard synthesizers on this record it's mostly just vocoder vocals and then it's still like it's a guitar band playing behind it like there's lots of guitars on this record you know absolutely and that's something i feel like people get lost in i feel like they get they hear the fact that oh this is a synth album by neil young and they're like oh that must suck and right. they hear it and it's not and it's not as immediate as heart of gold or something I'm like oh yeah it does suck mm-hmm. no but it takes it takes 10 listens to really even start to appreciate trance yeah. i feel like i can't um, think have gotten it the first time necessarily as like an eighth grader or whatever when i heard it like you said and i was like yeah yeah my i was i wanted to hear like you know like a hurricane or something like right rock out for 12 minutes but this he rocks out for almost you know 10 minutes in a different way on this one you wanted like a hurricane he gave you like an inca that's right <laughs> so the the thing about the actor that's interesting i'd actually never heard that um but what that reminds me of is is david bowie and that's something that david bowie was cel- and is celebrated for mm-hmm. but i feel like neil young uh, his eighties material is just written off as like a bunch of commercial failure experiments where he's doing he, each eighties album is different and plenty of other albums in his crew too. I feel like people, um, want just the, uh, harvest and after the gold rush, Neil Young, more than they just want your classic David Bowie. They, I feel like David Bowie was given more of a leash in his career. Yeah, and maybe it's just because he didn't, like, establish exact... Like, David Bowie's first real... Like, he had some commercial poppy kind of bubblegummy albums, but the first albums that people really seemed to, like, grab hold of of his were kind of concept albums. So it was almost like they expected the concept. They expected yeah. it to keep being weird, whereas Neil Young was, like, this, you know, just torchbearer of like rock and roll from buffalo springfield on through like all these major seminal rock and roll groups that people held near and dear is like what rock and roll was and like then to see someone turn and be like oh yeah but i can do whatever the hell i want and then right when this the- is the start of neil young that taking on that 
persona of like yeah. being a chameleon, I guess. Yeah. He yeah. gave him what he gave him what they wanted for too long, maybe. Yeah. Well, he also spent, you know, a big chunk of his career with both Buffalo Springfield and CSNY being right. shaped by other people. Whereas David Bowie, you know, he um, you know, he didn't have that those formative years where somebody else was involved and um the whole thing about like a commercial failure pisses me off because it's like that sucks for the record company i mean neil young doesn't probably i'm sure he would love to have a commercial hit but um he got a million dollars anyway yeah exactly yeah i mean that's the whole point <laughs> the reason he got sued <laughs> right he probably spent a million dollars defending himself but um yeah i think i think what you said about um you know inhabiting a character is uh it, it's a perfect way to put it he was a method actor right it's the daniel day lewis album so he um yeah the, the we should talk about the lawsuit before we get into the album song by song uh david geffen and geffen records had signed him uh this was his second album for geffen and he was he was given a million dollars an album, like you guys said, and was sued for making music uncharacteristic of Neil Young. I mean, because like obviously, if those album, if Reactor and Trans had sold well, then it wouldn't be a problem. But uh, um, and everybody's rocking. But uh, but you know they they did not. They they bombed in comparison to his '70s stuff. Um, and what I just learned today was that. Uh, they were handing out these million dollar contracts. It wasn't just Neil Young. It was like Elton John, Joni Mitchell, uh, Donna Summer, I think. So like he, they were giving out million dollar contracts and they all bombed in similar ways. Like they weren't as, they weren't nearly as successful as they thought they'd be to justify a million dollars per album. So hmm. I think it was, I think he was kind of the scapegoat. He was like taking it out on Neil Young kind of. Still inexcusable. Well, the, it's which is interesting because like, at least my impression was that they were kind of kind of friends because he had been the manager for CSNY and he was friends with uh and former business partners with Elliot Roberts his Neil Young's manager right yeah so yeah it's it's just like an interesting and then, and then to you know drop the lawsuit i think at least he did that it yeah. was like 3 months later or something and then have to kind of like eat some crow but what's funny is that uh, David Geffen's next success was, was DGC Records, uh, which was all, you know, proto, not proto, but, you know, was grunge and, uh, you know, alternative rock stuff of the 90s, uh, which, who was the godfather of grunge? Neil Young. And some of the sounds on this album, even though it's synth, you know, very grungy. There's some very grungy guitars. Well, should we go song by song? No, let's do some song by song. And I think we should reiterate that the first cut of each side uh and this is actually good context too so uh regarding that that lawsuit because the first cut of each side was were from a different album basically right right uh, he recorded what was it called uh island in the sun island in the sun it yeah. was a weezer cover 20 years before <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> he, he uh recorded that record and it actually got turned down by geffen and it sounds like based on those two songs it's actually like that probably would have done better than any of the records he actually released on geffen right, right. <laughs> those are more like more like the neil young that people want out of the neil young and so that's 
Yeah, he gave he gave you an opportunity. Yeah, and you said no, so then you get reacted. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> you know what's interesting is that album is actually coming out finally after forty years, it, and it's under a different name. I feel like it was just announced. It's not not like announced with a release date or anything, but Neil Young announced on his website that they're going to put that album out, but it's under a different name. I feel like, but uh, that's going to be cool to hear. And then there was one other song from that record that was supposed to be on this record that they cut it like the last minute, I guess, but they didn't cut it from the, the actual track listing because it was so last minute that the song itself got axed. So I think like the original version of this on record had a song that wasn't even actually pressed to the record. Uh, but yeah, let's let's uh, dig in. So, little thing called love. So, this would have been on Island in the Sun, but instead became the first track of side A of a record. It sounds almost nothing like. sample harvest moon in that it's got the same guitar line that dun, 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 dun. i never realized yeah. that but there was, that? this was 10 years before harvest moon that's great i never thought about that wow he has a lot this of this was before harvest moon yeah this is 80, 82 yeah oh. harvest moon was 92 and you know what he does he's yeah he's done that a lot like there's a there's a there's a CSNY song on um their final album as of yet i doubt they'll get back together but where it's ba- it's just the Heart of Gold riff, but him singing a different song over it. So Little Thing Called Love. Uh, I, ah, oh, man. Jesus, why'd you start with that? Uh, I, I was trying to find the quote in the Neil Young uh, biography I have called Shaky. It's great. Um, but he talks about how he wishes he would have taken all the all the non-transy stuff off but it but looking back in hindsight it was like him like trying to to hide that to like lessen the effect of of this really weird shit um introduce the listener with you know some standard neil young fare but oh all it in get it off there it's fine but it's it's just like you know it's like a comes a time song with crazy horse on it and with a little Hawaiian uh, you know flair, it's fine. But you just put it on another album. It's it's a throwaway. And it should have been. It was supposed to be. It right, was. right, exactly. <laughs> so I completely agree with Neil that it shouldn't be on here. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, but uh, I've so I've whenever I've ta- told somebody about trans, and I've had this experience multiple times is. Uh, you know, I tell them, oh, man, it's like trans is going to blow your mind, you know, because it, it blows mine. Uh, it's going to blow your mind. Uh, uh, man, you're not going to believe this is Neil Young. Um, but then I have to be like, well, but skip the first don't let, not the first song. <laughs> Just don't when you hear the first song, don't think about what I'm saying. Wait till the next song, because like if you hear the first song and think about me saying that, you're gonna be like, what the fuck is this idiot talking about? So. Little thing called love. I mean, there's not much to say about it in the context of the album. It's the slide guitar is out of tune, and it's not in the. Is it? It's not in like the cool way that a lot of Neil Young stuff is out of tune. It's in that like 
oh, I hear it. And I just want it to be like a quarter step higher because it's just out of tune and it doesn't fit the song. <laughs> and the immediately when I heard it, I was like, God, I just, I'm not going to like the rest of this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe you won't be a fan of Island in the Sun or whatever it's called. Well, the thing is that that's one of the things I love about Neil Young's music is how raw it is. And like, nothing's like quantized and perfect, but there's something about that moment where it's just like, that's, that should not be there. You know, there's, there's times for that, for the rawness and there's times to just yeah. not great at my ear, you know? <laughs> right. Is he often out of tune? I, as a musician, I don't, I just don't know. I, mean, I know it sounds good, but he's not terribly out. It, maybe out of tune is the, the wrong way to put it. I don't know. I read a, there's a, a great quote by Peter Hook from new order. Uh, and that it was the the better the voice, the less you trust the singer. Which I find true for a lot of art. I, I don't listen to a lot of technically great mm-hmm. artist voices, you know. Uh, and Neil Neil Young is one great example. Um, yeah. I guess you could you could uh, you could uh, prescribe that to the music as well. Yeah, it's not always perfect, but it, it, there's so much emotion. Side note. Was it the three of us that went to that Neil Young show? Mm-hmm. Yes, and my friend yeah. Kevin. Yeah, and we Kev, went. To yeah, the, yeah, yeah. At the Orpheum. Yeah, where people wouldn't stop yelling at him. Every yeah, it's like yeah, okay, yes, we get it. You're a big Neil Young fan. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. is everyone here. Well, right. they even had signs up that were like "Don't yell" or something. Did they? <laughs> yeah, because huh. he had obviously, you know, they anticipated this. I think he even. I think he even like kind of responded at some point just saying like thank you like i hear you like kind of in a tone to be like i feel like i remember that at some point but i don't know at the next the next night somebody he was playing a song that hadn't been released yet i forget what which one it was i think it was green is blue which is on colorado which came out later that year but it was unreleased at that point so no one knew it and this this one person similar may have been the same person just kept and so he stopped like two thirds of the way through the song. I have the, I have the bootleg on my computer, and, oh, no. and he he just stops playing. He's like, "Whoa, whoa!" He gets up from his piano and just walks to another instrument because he was you know he was going between different instruments. So they actually they wooed so much that they made him stop the song. They got to him for shame on that person. That oh, that's man. that would be my worst nightmare. <laughs> I mean, Gosh. I would never do that, but like, I just thinking about being in that person's spot for the rest of the show. Oh, yeah. Um, one thing I wanted to bring up about uh, a little, little thing I love before we move on is that he's done this so many other times, though, in his career. Like, think about Harvest. It ends with words between the lines of age. Mm-hmm. That sounds nothing like the rest of the album. Well, it sounds like there's a world. But uh, what are some other examples? Um, well, I guess even natural beauty would be an example. Um, just cause it's like just this live song all of a sudden after a bunch of acoustic songs, you know, so, so he's done that a, a ton where he's just put in this kind of sore thumb, even if it's a great song, it's like a sore thumb sonically to the rest of the album. So he's done that a ton. I want, and I wonder if that's like always, even though he's always trying to go against the grain, always trying to please everybody in a way. Yeah, either that or like hinting at the fact that he's just going to do something different next time. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe it's another just kind of yeah left turn kind of thing. Yeah, 
There's another one on the the album Broken Arrow, which it, it's it's kind of maddening how awful the sound is on the last song. Uh, I believe it's called Baby What You Want Me To Do. Baby What You Want Me To Do. It's like sub bootleg quality. It might not be crazy. The album's with Crazy Horse, but it might not be with Crazy Horse. It's like him in a bar from 400 feet away and a bunch of drunk Neil Young fans who are trying to prove how big of Neil Young fans they are. <laughs> it's like awful sound quality. It's like that record. That, what Did he do it with Jack White? Oh, you're talking about A Letter Home? Yeah. That one will test your uh, your ears, yeah. Well, that was the one he recorded in like the vinyl. The booth. Yeah, yeah the booth. Yeah. Right. Or it spits out your record. There's a reason they moved on from that technology. <laughs> yeah, I know. I suppose if you're like mega millionaires, well, I don't know. He spent a lot of money on the the Lincoln electric car or whatever. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, if you have all those resources, why not mess around with that stuff? Well, let's uh let's dig into the first real trans track of trans. So this uh this is a sweet song. I love Computer Age. So Computer Age track two. For a computer rock song, that's a pretty sweet guitar riff. Yeah, absolutely. My favorite thing, though, about Computer Age is the drums. The drums are central because they they introduce each time the guitar comes in, like near, 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 near. It's almost like he wrote the song and was. Uh... <laughs> Like, I'm going to do what I usually do and write a guitar rock song, but then around it, I'm going to use vocoder and synth and drum machine or whatever he was using. And Because that's a very Neil Young melody. The whole album feels like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's one of the things that frustrates me so is when people talk shit about trans is uh, the it's, it's totally a Neil Young album. You know, the melodies, the guitars just present it differently. The one thing that I think is really funny about the guitar on this song, and it continues through a lot of the album, but maybe I just notice it more on this song is like when you take a guitar and you like record it with a microphone through an amplifier versus when you take a guitar and you just plug it directly into a mixing console and you record just like a direct guitar with no amplifier and microphone, they sound very, very different. So much of this song and some other parts of this record sound like this, like direct guitar tones. And it's just so <laughs> funny because it's like Prince did that a lot too. And it's such like a, of an era sound and it's like starting to come back now. So you're starting to hear that like type of tone way more in like, you know, like Wolfpack types. That's who I was going to say. Yeah. But there's what, tons- what's that guy's name? He's Minnesotan, I think. Corey Wong. Yeah. Corey Wong. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that just that tone, it's just so interesting. It's a tone that like, if you were to ask like most guitar players who play guitar because they're like guitar players, like, is this a good guitar tone? They'd be like, no, that sounds like shit. Like within the context of this song, it's like, it's so cool. Like it serves the song well. It gives 
tons of room for all this other stuff. It's super weird and sloppy sounding, like unrefined next to all these like really perfectly like tuned vocals and stuff. I don't know. Or not perfectly tuned, but like more tuned than there were used to hearing at the time when this record came out. That That's why it's great to have you guys on this show. Cause I, I kind of have no idea what you're talking about, but <laughs> that's wonderful that you can provide such insight. Well, that's, what's cool about all this stuff is that like you're saying, the guitar purists will talk shit about it because they're purists and all they care about is. Right. They just went down by the river. Yeah. But really it's just the sound that you're going for. I mean, you can make music however you want and it doesn't have to be, you know, the way that, uh, you know, you don't have to use vintage amps and, uh, yeah. Nice yeah. Can some of the same times. music just presented differently. Well, it just sound as long as you're intentional with it. I mean, art's weird. Art's just like, we, you can do whatever the hell you want. And that's what the audience, that's what gets confused. And that when you think about things like a lawsuit from a record label suing an artist over making art that they don't think is like the idea of art being characteristic of someone in the first place is really silly. Like, so, so like there is no right tone, you know, there's no like tone that it's like, Oh, that's the Neil Young. It's like, you can they'd be like saying like, Oh, that's, you know, the, I don't know. It's it's just a flawed way of looking at it, in my opinion. Yeah, it's like David Geffen, you know, uh, I know he took away the lawsuit. He, he withdrew it, but him doing that is like saying, oh, are you saying that you, David Geffen, are also one-dimensional? And you only have one layer? Can you only do one thing? Just to play devil's advocate, you guys might know this if you've researched it, but what did Neil Young say when he got that million-dollar check? Because if he, you know, if he said, hey, David Geffen, for a million bucks, I'll make you, you know, the Neil Young, you know, that you're used to. And I'll put up, you know. No, that uh, was part of the Geffen thing was I thought that he was the artist's total creative control. That was part of what it was. And that's why he gave them a guaranteed million dollars to be like, I'm giving you a million dollars to just be able to make the records that you want to make. And you're an artist. And, to, and then like, to, that was the irony was that he then turned around and was like, no, not that record. Okay. Yeah. So in that case, right. I'm, I'm fully on board with Neil Young, but here's a passage from shaky, the Neil Young book. I had a very big deal at RCA bigger than the Geffen, the Geffen deal said Robert, Elliot Roberts, his manager. And then David said, listen, I'll give you a million dollars an album, which is what we were getting at Warner's and you want an ad, you'll make up an ad, whatever you want. You'll get total control, 100% control. David has worked with, with Neil for a very long time. Elliot Roberts told, uh, Paul Makos in May 1982. He totally relates to Neil as an artist and has no preconceived notions. He knows that he's capable of doing anything at any point in any time. Neil's not concerned with selling large numbers of re his records. He's concerned with making records he's ple with, pleased with. Unfortunately, they're not always commercial from the record company's point of view. David Geffen relates to that. I, I, re I retract my devil's advocate statement. <laughs> that's, that's, that's pretty damning. Um, so. Something that I see, and we'll get to this later with Transformer Man, but uh, a big part of the trans concept is that uh, Neil Young's son had and has cerebral palsy mm -hmm. and has to, and at a time, I don't know, maybe he's five or six or so, uh, has to like communicate through a machine. And that was one of the two big conceits of trans 
um, along with the fact that he was working on what Blair mentioned, his uh, his trains, his, his toy trains. Oh, and that's, that's what <laughs> that's what uh, brought his fascination uh, with technology into his music. And and when you hear the vocoder. Vocoder, that's how you pronounce it, vocoder. Uh, that is supposed to simulate uh, uh, Neil Young's son, Ben's uh, inability. Well, the fact that you can't tell what Neil Young is saying, and sometimes it's actually Nils Lofgren, also of the E Street Band and sometimes of Crazy Horse, now of Crazy Horse, uh, and at the time as well. Um, but uh, that is supposed to simulate the fact that Neil Young's son feels like people do not understand him. Hmm. And so uh, Neil Young talks about it in, in his book is how uh, he was, he was especially offended at the critical um, denial of um, the poor critical reception of trans because he's trying to relate to his son who has a disability through it. And so it's extra personal. Um, yeah. And I see a lot of that in Computer Age. You know, Transformer Man is the song that's like specifically about him. But Computer Age, like, um, um, I need you to let me know that there's a heartbeat. I stand by you or else we just don't see the others. There's a lot of kind of uh, symbiotic code, codependence going on there. Um, and I think it's, it's a beautiful way to introduce, introduce the world of the album. But that's, I think... Um, that that what you just said is really interesting because he as far as what i could tell he didn't introduce the world to the album around this time he was like categorically not doing interviews and so mm -hmm. no one understood the context of the album and so that that's probably part of what contributed to like the lack of of like public enthusiasm i feel like it would have been received better if people understood oh, that oh yeah he could have totally sold that angle he didn't help his cause yeah definitely so so you know like in retrospect it's like yeah like that's really heartfelt he just like intentionally didn't play it because he wasn't trying to probably fucking like exploit his relationship probably, yeah. with his son for commercial gain. Right. That's probably mm -hmm. what, probably what he felt. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it's a, it's a beautiful song. And, uh, even though, you know, he talks about in his book, how it, it comes across, he's like something about like, I'm kind of over human emotion. Like he talks about, um, like Frank Sinatra and Perry Como, like, uh, we, it's 1982. We're past that whole human emotion thing. We're in the digital age, you know? <laughs> which is funny to think about. Do anything else about computer age? I think we should bounce on to We Are In Control. All right. definitely the Daft Punk song. Huh. The message of that song seems to be that we are in control. Yeah. That's, that's kind of what I took be, from it. I think it's actually the opposite of that, right? Hmm. Yes. Uh, and, you know, I was kind of thinking earlier, what, um, 
does everybody always feel this way in modern society? And what year are we in in trans? And then, then I was looking through the liner notes. And then after Like an Inca, the last song, and then Nils Lofgren's credit, there's a little thing that I don't know what it means. It says GHS 2018. So that suggests to me this might be 2018, which feels about right. Was it a re-release or something in 2018? Like no, a this, is the 19, this is the original pressing. Hmm. It says GHS 2018. Maybe a little clue. I don't know. But I, but, but, uh, I feel like there's always kind of a dystopian view you can have at any time in history. Just because that's the current context you have. That's the most technologically advanced world that you've experienced. Yeah, I mean, there's all sorts of movies from, you know, the 70s, from, you know, whenever that are like 2025, there's flying cars. Right, right. Are those are those drum machines on We Are In Control? Yeah, I mean, they definitely have drum machines, but not all of it. Like, the hi-hat is always like the giveaway to me. You know, there's mm. a lot of like dirty, clearly live hi-hat on a lot of these drums. So there's at least like elements mm. of live drums on a lot of these songs. Okay. Mm-hmm. Something that, uh, so the rest of Crazy Horse, so Crazy Horse is on this. It's not a Neil Young and Crazy Horse album. All of them are on it. That's a, every one of them, including. Right. Uh, but it's just credited as Neil Young. Uh, uh, and I wonder if that's because um, they recorded it and then they didn't like what he did with it after. So I wonder if maybe it was just kind of a, he's the only one behind this project, him and Nils Lofgren. Yeah. Uh, Cause they didn't tour the album with him. It, him and Nils were, were on the tour, but the rest of the band was different. So I wonder if it's kind of a, they weren't really behind this. They, and they talk about in the book, they did not, they did not like it. This is definitely the one track where if you're a Neil Young fan that really loves his more rock and roll stuff, I can see where this one's not for you. This is the bridge too far. Yeah. It's a hard, it's a long leap for a lot of people. I think on an album of bridge to bridges too far. Yeah. This is the one. (laughs) It's it's definitely wayward. This it's the most wayward noise. And I'm not knocking on it for the quality. I'm just saying, yeah, I just, I wouldn't blame, you know, a fan who doesn't like it. It's pretty funny. Uh, I've watched live videos from the trans tour, which uh, was a huge disaster. And the people there, like, there's a couple, like, rocking out and jumping up and down, but you can tell, like, they're just befuddled. You said it was a disaster? Yeah, like, apparently everybody was drunk and didn't enjoy it. The musicians, I mean. <laughs> yeah so and neil young wore a headset microphone right yeah i can't imagine the audience has enjoyed it too much he's just asking people it said, it. yeah what did it say it said like it took like five trucks to transport the stage <laughs> it's like a u2 yeah it's like a u2 tour <laughs> in self-indulgence i love it maybe that's why i love it so much because one of the things i love about u2 is the self-indulgence and this is neil being very self-indulgent. Let's listen to ourselves uh, a little bit of Transformer Man. Transformer. Transformer. 
That might be my favorite song ever. All artists. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Transformer Man is beautiful. And like you're talking about the yeah, the vocals, the vocals kind of give that effect. They are they they do all the work for you, for the guitars. Mm-hmm. You know? Uh you that you don't even notice the lack of guitars. Yeah. The, the trading off between the vocoder and the, the live vocals. Yeah. Yeah. And there's some like string synths going on in the background or something, like some some other stuff. Yeah, but like all the sustain comes from other stuff. Yeah. It's it's just a prime example of like uh if you are just dismissing trans because it's electronic, then you don't even get Neil Young in the first place because that's just a beautiful song, no matter what. Mm-hmm. You know, um, much you know, just even without the fact that it's 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 for his kid. You know, right? Um, here's a great quote uh, from from Shaky, the Neil Young book. Transformer Man is a song for my kid. If you read the words and look at my child in his wheelchair with his little button and switch on his head, his train set and his transformer, the whole thing is for him. And people, they missed it completely. They put me down for fucking around with things that I didn't understand, for getting involved in something that I shouldn't have been involved in. Well, fuck them. But it hurt me because it, this was for my kid. Hmm. Yeah. I remember reading something like that. I have this book called Songwriters on Songwriting. Hmm. He talks about this album and that. And it was, I remember reading something like that and being like, that's sad. Yeah, because yeah. Like, people don't, uh, they just don't they don't give enough time to something that's that's so different that it takes a while to to comprehend and yeah. that's that's ultimately trans's uh critical yeah. downfall yeah is that people haven't given enough time and to some extent like the artist is letting you in you know like they have the they're gonna they have the privilege of being in their position they're in so they have some responsibility to their audience but like or that's arguable but that seems to be like, you know, kind of common sentiment. But he completely fulfilled that responsibility by being real. You know, there's a couple ways Neil Young could have gone about it. He could have written these songs and been like, screw it. I don't want to do what I've done before. I'm going to throw paint at the wall with the stuff that I've never used. Or he could say, I really am genuinely interested in doing electronic music or bringing those elements in and then crafting it that way. Because one end, it's more cynical, like, screw it. I don't care what anyone thinks. Like people can hate it. On the other hand, it's like, Hey, I actually really want to do something that's new and innovative for myself. Absolutely. And I think maybe something that turns people off is that in the, well, just throughout the eighties and especially in 1982, this kind of stuff was all over the place. Right. Or at least it was starting to be, you know, Mm -hmm. the, the very digital synthy stuff that uh, kind of defined the 80s. And you could look back at it now seeing as, oh, it's Neil Young jumping on that train. But it's not at all. Yeah. He could have made this album in 1992. Right. And it would have uh, been the same album and it would have had the same effect, I feel like. Uh, it's more of a coincidental thing. Because the next year, he made a Rockabilly album. That certainly wasn't in vogue. Everybody's Rockin' wasn't in vogue in 1983. <laughs> so it's not like he's just hopping on whatever the current trend is. Uh, he was inspired by that thing, and um, and and ultimately became you know this is 
Trans is one of those albums that I feel like cements his legacy as a influential trailblazer for for doing what you want and exploring new sounds. Um, you know, I, I see it more like that than I see it as you know another synthy album from 1982. It's good you're not taking this the cynical view, right? Right. <laughs> well, like Blair said, it's my favorite song from any artist ever. <laughs> <laughs> Are you with that? All right, computer cowboy. You just mentioned cynicism. I think it's cool how Neil is now taking this technology and um, kind of um, and giving giving this person shit, right? He's kind of decrying the the uh, the computerized aspect of technology. The the just the the very impersonal aspect of technology and maybe maybe putting it on kind of a david geffen character right as the computer cowboy you know this person uh with the cattle and the herd looks perfect you know he's kind oh, of sure. he's, he's turning technology on its head from something you know that's something that can connect him to his his son to uh somebody who views things through a tech technological lens but as in you know the world has to be just how i want it to be it's an interesting so, take on it yeah so it's cool it turns that on its head yeah yeah and is now decrying technology in a way while using such heavily processed music like such right <laughs> so heavily, yeah yeah it's interesting or maybe he's the computer cowboy and he's celebrating himself. I don't know. I just think computer cowboy, that must have been a turn. So like I've read, I read a lot of uh, like cyberpunk novels, or I did. I don't read a ton now, but like in college and stuff, I was really into William Gibson and I, he's still one of my favorite authors. Um, and he, he kind of like invented that genre to some degree. Like hmm. he wrote uh, Neuromancer, which is like, the seminal like kind of big starting point of of cyberpunk as a genre what is cyberpunk it's like the genre of sci-fi that kind of dealt with like technology um as like kind of the right like dystopian technological futures like the rise of like corporate like the corporate state kind of okay and, corporations as governments and stuff and like just the sprawl of humanity and like the incorporation of like the increased amount of time spent in virtual reality and like in a lot of the books people start like existing partially in these virtual reality interfaces where they're kind of like i don't know it's like it's, it's about facebook basically <laughs> huh 
So, I mean, it's Neuromancer is an incredible book. The Matrix was like they borrowed heavily from that book. They borrowed from tons of stuff, but that was like one. Of, and uh, Neuromancer actually invented the term cyberspace. Uh, oh. Yeah, that was a William Gibson book. Um, well, yeah, those are all the words I was going for. Yeah, dystopian. Yeah, yeah. This, it's it's <laughs> yeah. critical of the dystopian yeah. state. Yeah, and, but he uses the he uses the term like console cowboy all the time and, and stuff. So I just wonder. Oh. Like I'm I am genuinely curious if Neil Young read like a like read William Gibson books if that had any bearing on any of this stuff mm-hmm. like the idea of like a console jockey sitting behind the computer, but that was like in the future where the the cyberspace front is the wild west and you know you're like the the cowboy out there you know like yeah i I just i'm just curious if that's if i would be curious to ask him when he listens to the podcasts uh right since of course he will letting us know we'll we'll ask him he could have just been struggling to find a melody so he decided to (laughs) Make it no melody. No melody. <laughs> Spoken word. I love. I love how he says sometimes "sis crusher" over. You know, because it's on the LP. It's computer cowboy parentheses AKA sis crusher, and sometimes he just says "sis crusher" over computer cowboy, hmm. which is awesome. Um, it's a good band name. Sis crusher. Absolutely. Yeah. Guarantee you, there's a band called Sis Crusher. There's a there's a powder finger. I know that. Yeah, I wonder how many other Neil Young songs have the honor. Sis Crusher would be a great one though. Yeah. That would be a great band name. <laughs> um something something that's uh interesting considering, you know, if you if you if you subscribe to my viewpoint that it's kind of a cynical view of uh, you know, the the overtaking of technology, you see the floodlights when he turns the floodlights on each night um in in we are in control you've got the traffic lights in computer age you've got the sun the hot sun uh when i see the light i feel more like i feel like i'm more than just a number so the light can be the light is something beautiful in computer age the light is something evil in computer cowboy both songs start with computer. There must be some kind of tie-in. Yeah. Interesting juxtaposition. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, Neil. He's not, he's not, Joe. he's not, this isn't his first time. Mm-mm. <laughs> no. And that's what people treat it as. I know. They treat trans as like, you know, oh, here's, here's Neil Young trying out the, the genre of the day. No, 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 no. Now he's he's been doing this shit for like fifteen years. It's kind of like no matter the sound, he knows what he's doing. He's wearing the genre. There's no the genre is not wearing him. You know, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, let's listen to the first track of what would be side B. Hold on to your love.
until you mentioned that each each of the first uh, songs on each side didn't really fit into the concept. I always thought of Hold On To Your Love as a trans song. Like Little Thing Called Love, obviously, doesn't, it doesn't, it's not part of, it's not part of the album, like conceptually. Um, like an Inca kind of too, you know, I always thought of it as kind of being bookended by two songs. Like an Inca feels more transy than Little Thing Called Love, certainly, but you know, there's no, there's no vocoder or anything. But um, yeah, Hold On To Your Love, really is a lot closer to little thing called love than the other songs but it's got that it's got that synthy that bouncy synth kind of thing and then maybe that's why i and i would uh, if you hadn't mentioned anything i would continue to not see it as not being a trans song mm. it feels like maybe a little interlude that's not like we're in control or computer cowboy but it still feels like it could be part of the album Maybe just because it's between Computer Cowboy and Sample and Hold. I don't know. Well, let's hit Sample and Hold. Can we listen to the dance mix now and then the radio edit? No. <laughs> I don't know if those are on Spotify. The dance mix might be the first dance mix that's shorter than the album version. It's only like six minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and then the radio edit's like three minutes. By the way, before we get on to sample and hold, I thought of the word I was looking for. Your dad is a Neil Young contrarian. Mm. Right? Trans, landing on water, even American stars and bars. American Stars and Bars was a weird album. Yeah. But they were all, like, that's the thing. They were all weird albums. Like, right. This one just got pegged as it because it sounded futuristic at the time. I think that's the only thing. That's the only thing. If it came out now, it would be so, like, not shocking. Right. To right. Hear someone do, like, oh, that's their auto tune album or whatever, you know? Like, it's their T Pain album. So tribute to plenty of weirdness in every neil young album trans isn't anything special in that regard yeah it's just better than the rest um i i should have mentioned by now trans is my number two neil young album what's number one yes mm. what album combines everything you think about neil young everything you identify with neil young <laughs> Three words. Rust never sleeps. That's correct. Rust never sleeps is number one for me. What about you guys? What what's what's your favorite Neil Young album? I don't. I honestly don't know because I listened to so much Neil Young at work, and and my mood affected so much of what I would like. Like I listened tonight to tonight's the night a lot for the last long chunk of when I was bartending. So I really associate that with being like dark and moody and disenchanted with people. And that album's pretty dark and moody and right. And so, you don't hear people giving shit to tonight's a night. Right. 
you say a bad word about tonight's tonight and your opinion is not respected anymore mm-hmm. yet trans oh it's a fucking whipping boy they're not that different Mm-mm. you know they're not even separated by that many years right yeah I mean, harvest so. is my favorite what's that harvest is my favorite. hey harvest is great too yeah i don't know they're all great that's the thing yeah well not all of them but that's something that's great about neil young that's definitely true not all okay not all of them <laughs> he's got a few even, even when they even when they actually are as bad as people say trans is they're still entertaining you know well yeah, you yeah. got to hear every neil young album yeah I've it's listened. never boring i've i've definitely given at least uh, a couple times through man looking through his discography is so daunting i know yeah it's just so much music it's fucking crazy the, okay so what it, what blows my mind is that there's only one period in his whole career which spans uh 1965 i believe is the first buffalo springfield album to mm-hmm. 2021 this is still true there's only one time where he went more than two years without releasing an album whoa that's an insane pace of releasing music that's incredible but it's it was it was between 1996 broken arrow and then there's nothing until the next uh the 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 final crosby stills nash and young album looking forward 99 he went three years once in 56 years jesus that's so much there's so much music there so much fucking music yeah so sample and hold uh my favorite song on trance it is the crown jewel of trans to me it's everything that trans wants to be it's dystopian it's human it's relatable it's um, you know it as you read it it's it's a guy wanting like the perfect woman and like basically ordering it ordering the perfect woman but 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 what it is is it's it's born out of his fascination with trains and uh the uh, you know, they were like designing a bunch of uh, toy trains and stuff. And well, McCoy and I were talking about this in the in the pre-gap of the episode. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, and sample and hold is a technological term. Can you tell us about sample and hold, McCoy? Oh yeah, it's like a. I mean, in, it's like a circuit, but in synthesizers, it's like you can like once the voltage hits like a certain part of its amplitude you can like lock that in like sample that basically take a snapshot of that and hold it and so it's like for synthesizers it's like an important part of a lot of sound synthesis stuff so it's like it's funny because this is a nerdy synth record and that's what he called it but apparently it's also heavily based around trains right which you take one letter away and you get trans trans it's such an odd part about Neil Young that he's a model train enthusiast. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Which I find really cool. Side note, but I don't. I would never have the patience. Model trains, or the desire to invest in that at all. 
I was a I was a big Brio kid. A big Brio kid. I would I would love I love that the country, but I I couldn't see myself getting in trains beyond that. Um, I love singing "Sample and Hold" to my wife Lizzie. Uh, she gets really annoyed when I sing uh, <laughs> "Hair Blonde." Eyes. <laughs> Wait, one, one. Oh, like when we saw Neil Young, I was like, "Oh man, man, wouldn't it have been amazing if he if he played "Sample and Hold." <laughs> "Sample and Hold." Right. A <laughs> hundred and ten pound blonde woman. <laughs> <laughs> he was. It's I mean, a tall ask. What right? <laughs> a gold like at that point. Yeah. And, and with a mood code of rotary, rotary adjustable. I mean, yeah. It's just asking too much. That's, uh, I mean, yeah. Daryl Hannah probably looked like that then. I think he was talking about Daryl Hannah. Yeah. It was. But yeah, just that it goes on for eight minutes. Uh, but it never gets boring. Um, you know, like we talked about with his discography, those guitars, that heavily distorted guitar, like it's like so distorted, like if it was any more distorted, it would sound awful, right? It's mm -hmm. like just the maximum amount. Um, it's always threatening to kind of come out underneath the words like, you know, it's always there. If you know what I'm saying, which I, I which I love about. Yeah. Song. Yeah, he does. He has a sweet. It's a great song. That that's something that reminds me of like Rust Never Sleeps, and it's it's very grungy. That that guitar and sample and hold. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the next song, Mr. Soul, also has a super like dirty guitar sound to me, but it's also super like synth like like synthy sound. And also, I guess this song, I think Bruce Palmer from Buffalo Springfield played bass on this oh. version of it too he played something on it i read that somewhere i don't remember what i'm pretty sure he played bass on this though and this song came out in like 1966 or whatever mm -hmm. yeah let's give mr soul a listen Okay, uh, so Mr. Soul, Trans is not a perfect album, as we talked about with Little Thing Called Love. If I were to have my own Trans track listing, mm -hmm. and you know, I, I'm, I always listen to an album as its track list was dictated by the artist. But if I were to make my own Trans track list, it would exclude Little Thing Called Love and Mr. Soul. Mm -hmm. um, not because you know Mr. Soul is a great song, but We've already got the definitive version. Mm -hmm. Do we need the trans version? And because it also, when when an artist puts a song, an old song on an album, uh, a song that's already been released on one of their albums, it, it makes it feel like um, kind of a throwaway. Yeah, it's always hard to tell like what the motive is. Like if it was just that that guy 
Bruce Palmer was like, yeah, I'll play bass on a song. And they were like, well, let's just do one we already know. And so, right. like, yeah, <laughs> you know, like that's the vibe you get kind of, but yeah. uh, it's just not to- necessary. We've got Mr. Soul. We don't, we don't need the trans version. Now, if you, if, if I were to talk to Neil Young in 1982 and he were to say, well, well, here's how the themes of Mr. Soul fit into trans, then sure, maybe, but I've yet to see that argument. So I yeah. I would take off Mr. Soul if I were making the track list. We need to get Neil on to uh, defend himself. Yeah, right. And I don't know that he would. I, I might can be like, almost guarantee yeah, he would. <laughs> right. <laughs> He'd probably be like, guys, that was 40 years ago. I have no idea what Wait, the hell I was like. trans? <laughs> He'd be like, you guys are all 30. You don't even know what that feels like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. First of all, fuck you. You were born in 1982. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's, I mean, it's and it's not even that different than the the standard Mister Soul, right? I mean, it's just got kind of trans instrumentation. It doesn't do anything terribly interesting with it. There's really nothing new that's added to the equation other than the vocoded vocal that I can tell. Otherwise, I mean, there's like a drum machine, but that doesn't like arguably add anything. It's just different. Yeah, you gotta wonder what um, what this nudged out of the way too, because one of the one of the cool things about vinyl that I've always loved is that, you know, you're limited by a physical space. Right. Yeah. So unless you want to make it a it's double not album. Like, I mean, it's, you know, the, the album's nine songs. Everybody knows this is nowhere with seven. You could cut a song. It's still an album. A lot of you people worry about sure. it being yeah. long enough. I well, two like. of them are eight minutes long. So, um, right. But there's got to be other songs that he had, you know, maybe not recorded, but in the, the hopper. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. You could have even put Like an Inca in that spot because Like an Inca feels more transy. You could put Like an Inca there and then ended it with another island in the sun song. Or you could have made Like an Inca three or four minutes longer. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. So hit 12, 13 minutes. 13, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, speaking of like an Inca, let's round this thing off. All right. That's a perfect example of the fact that this is just as much a guitar record as it is anything else. Absolutely. Yeah, what a great song. Um, I love Like an Inca. And you can't even, it, it's, um, I wonder if it's maybe just its ethos, uh, but it doesn't feel different than the rest. You could just put it there and I wouldn't even really notice that there's no vocoder or sense or, you know, it just, it feels like it belongs to the rest of the songs. Yeah. It, Other it, than Mr. Soul and Little Thing I'll Love. Right. <laughs> it gives me Steely Dan vibes, for sure. I've never really thought about that when listening to it for some reason, but that was like what I thought of the second I heard it this time. Yeah, yeah, now that you mention it. Yeah, totally. 
Um, and you know, it's got, it's got one of his greatest explosions from verse to chorus, one of his greatest transitions. That's definitely a, not a, speaking of uncharacteristic things, I would say that's an uncharacteristic chorus of Neil. You know, like that, Why is that? He doesn't usually open stuff up quite like that, in my opinion. This is like such a different, like, like kind of triumphant sound, not triumphant maybe, but like, but it just did like, it's so groovy and so like kind of minor seventh sounding all through the verses and then it gets to that chorus and it's so much more like, like yeah it's almost like toto-ish or something like so many the band <laughs> era like i don't know yeah like yacht rocky in some way it's his africa yeah it, it's a great song and i don't know i don't know what it is but it fits in with the rest it doesn't feel like a little thing called love even though it came from the same sessions and you know it, have you guys listened to hitchhiker his album from 1976 that he he was going through a divorce i believe and and um he just recorded this album in hawaii with uh with just his recording engineer um and it was just released in 2017 i believe um and it's mostly stuff from like rust never sleeps in its early form and and uh, like there's the old country waltz on there from uh, American Stars and Bars, but also the the chorus of the song Hitchhiker is the chorus of Like an Inca, and it's really cool to hear it in its acoustic form, and then it explodes into Well, I wish it was an Aztec. You know. so the also the lyric, the same chorus, and not just lyrically, or not just musically. It's lyrically the same. Lyrically the same, yeah. Wow. Yeah, it, you know, Hitchhiker choice. is one of my favorite <laughs> Neil Young albums as well. Um, even though it's all stuff that ended up on mostly ended up on albums later, but uh, it's just just him and his his producer. It's great. Does he still live in Hawaii? I know he lives in Northern California too. I believe he just lives in in California. His his guitarist Frank San Pedro from Crazy Horse for a long time retired to Hawaii. Mm. He is no longer in Crazy Horse, and uh, Nils Lofgren replaced him. Kicking it with Mick Fleetwood. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's a crazy stat that he, in 50 some years, he has only taken two years off. Well, it's because it's he's trying shit like trans, you know, you know, with trans, it's awesome. It's one of my favorite albums ever, but, um, if you're not trying to, uh, redo your, your own success, you know, it might help with writer's block. Well, Trans is sweet. That was a good first choice. Great album. Yeah. Thanks, Neil Young. Thank you, everybody, uh, for tuning in for the first episode of Wayward Noise. Uh, thank you, McCoy, McCoy and Blair. Um, yeah, great talk on trans, and we'll see you next time for uh, Up by R.E.M. Nerdy.